Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, if you don't have a traditional Bible but you'd like one and you're comfortable, just raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your smart device and open up the YouVersion app. It's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures. Those have already been uploaded. There's places for you to take notes in there. Of course, we'll also put the scriptures up there on the screen. If you're watching us online at one of our other sites or if you're watching us at the Brown County Correctional Facility, love you guys and so glad that you guys are a part of our family. Uh, I wonder when is the last time you felt like you were under attack? The doctor said it's cancer or it's COVID. (laughs) Your friend said they don't wanna be around you anymore. Your spouse, they said, I think maybe we're done. Maybe you've been under attack financially. You lost your job, your benefits, your pension. Now you're upside down. Maybe something broke at your house or on your car and you don't have the money to fix it. And so you find yourself in a real predicament. Maybe you're under attack spiritually. You don't know why, but You're discouraged, you're depressed, it feels like there's a cloud that's circling you, that's surrounding you, your thoughts, they're foggy, your hope, it's fading. You know, what we tend to do in those moments is is we tend to look up to God and respond like this, like, God, where are you? I I thought you were good, I thought you loved me, I thought that you were gonna take care of me, I thought that you were gonna provide for me. Why, Why is it, God, that you hurt me? Why is it, God, that you're opposed to me, why, why are you fighting me? It, it's interesting what effect opposition or adversity has on people. People go in, in all kinds of different directions when they find themselves under attack. Like maybe there, maybe there is no God. Maybe, maybe God isn't good. Maybe God loves other people. He just doesn't love me. Maybe God's not actually that powerful. But what you need to understand is that it's, it's not just us and God. There's a third variable we absolutely have to factor in to everything, and that is Satan and his demons. And so I, I want to share a message today that, that's not going to be sweet. It's not, it's, it's not going to be like really soft. It, it's, it's, it's not going to be that comfortable. Be, because the reason you feel under attack isn't because of God. It, it's because we are at war. But the good news is, after 16 weeks of messages from a book that only has six chapters in the book of Ephesians, I want to share Paul's final words in a message that we're calling, I am victorious. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you that we're winners, God, that we may not feel like it all the time. We, we may not feel like we are the conquerors, but God, we are more than conquerors through you. And so today I pray that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of trials or tribulations, in the midst of discomfort, I pray that your Holy Spirit would well up in this place, that our hearts and our minds would be adjusted, God, that 
that they would be made more into yours, that, that when we leave this place, we would not only be protected, but that we would be changed, that we would look, act, sound, feel, be more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are at war. We have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone, anyone, to devour. The problem is too many of us are in denial of that truth. We live in a day where whether it's through psychology, media, or or just a basic resistance to the supernatural, people just flat out don't believe in the existence of Satan or demons. Almost 70% of people in our culture today say they don't even believe that Satan is real. We've turned him into a figment of our imagination, a, a, a cartoon character, a, a mythical figure like an elf or, or like a fairy. And the result of that denial is every time we're under attack, we tend to question or we tend to blame God. And, and while we do that, Satan laughs and his kingdom expands. But, but this is incredibly important. The world is not the way it should be. I don't know if you know that. Not everything that happens is God's will. There's also an enemy, his name is Satan, and he pushes and he promotes his will. And it's so important that, that it's the last thing that the great apostle Paul chooses to talk about in his letter to his friends in the city of Ephesus. Yes, he, he does talk about your salvation. He, he does talk about your friendships, your marriage, your work life. He, he does talk about your kids. But if you overlook or neglect the existence of Satan, demons, and the war that they're waging against God and us, it'll infect, affect, and destroy everything that God is trying to do in your life. So, so let's read the final words of Paul, because the Bible says that faith, it comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. So here, here's Paul's last thing that he says. He says, finally, <laughs> he's, saying, he's saying, after everything that you've learned about your salvation, about your friendships, your marriage, your work life, and your kids, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh or blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Like, this isn't one thing. It is the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly places. Therefore, because you're under attack, take on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all that you can to stand firm, this is so practical, stand. Having fastened the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith, which is that that helps you to extinguish the flaming darts or arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. By the way, he says, pray for me so that my words that would be given to me when I open my mouth would boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And, and so Paul's really clear here. There, there's the church, there's God, and there's a war being waged against him and his people by Satan and by, by his demons. And I want you to know this. Jesus loves us. Satan loathes us. 
God has a plan for us, but Satan has a plan for us. Jesus' plan is to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and to give you a future. Satan's plan is to steal from you, to, to kill you, to destroy you. Jesus' plan is to bless you in every way, but Satan's plan is to undermine that blessing in every way because this is a war. You, you know that, right? Like too many, too many people don't, particularly Christians. It's amazing to me the amount of people who have been in church their whole life. They read the Bible, they say they pray, they say that they're in tune with the Holy Spirit, but, the, but they don't understand that we are at war, and that's why when troubles happen in their home, when things like Pastor Sonny talked about during prayer, when your marriage gets uh, tepid, maybe your marriage never has animosity in it, but when that happens and you're a Christian, it feels like Christians blame God more than anybody. And I think part of that is because I don't, I don't know when it happened. It, it's, been, it's been gradual. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been very sublime, this, uh, this determination that particularly people have made in the church, that we live in a therapeutic culture where God's been reduced to a cosmic life coach who, who comes along to ask you what you want and to give you tips and tricks to, a better, to do a better job or to have a better life, like, like God is a women's magazine that you find at the checkout of a grocery store. This, this therapeutic coach where, where, where you can get tips and tricks to, to live for your glory, where, where you can be what you want, get what you want, and do what you want. Like when you pick up this book, there's a very beautiful person on the cover. Have you ever noticed on magazines how everyone looks like me? <laughs> They're gorgeous. They're fit. They're not airbrushed at all, by the way. This is exactly how they look in the wild. If you saw them, they have an eight-pack. You know what I'm talking about? You know what have you ever seen the pictures of people who they, they, they uh, wear their drawers? Just a little low, not all the way low to be seductive, but just a little lower so you can know that they have muscles you didn't know that humans have. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, like the, the what do they call those? They call, what do they call those there? Anybody know that? Yeah, I don't know them. They're called hip cradles. I didn't know that because I've never had them before. I think that that's a term that was invented by a women's magazine to make people's husbands look fat. I'm just saying, like, they think, we think that we're going to pick this book up off of our nightstand and it's going to say 17 tricks to have a better marriage. And down in the corner, it'll say, and if you don't know how to make pot roast, we'll show you how to make it in an air fryer. Like, you're just like, this, this is the book. <laughs> Guys, God is not a life coach who exists to bless you. He does bless you, but he doesn't exist to bless you. You actually exist to bless him. You exist to serve him because he's not our cosmic life coach. He's our conquering Lord and King, and we are in the middle of a war. And the, pro the problem is, the closer you get to Jesus, the more pressure you're going to feel, the more resistance you're going to face. And we have had an entire generation of churches that have taught people that if you just come to church and sing the songs and check the box and do the growth track and go through Journey to Wholeness, and if you just, if you just give and you tithe and you give your first fruits offering at the first of the year, then life is going to be fine. And that is total BS. Because from the minute I gave my life to Jesus, my life sucked. Because I'm at war. Because when I didn't live 
lived for Jesus, I wasn't a threat to anyone. But the minute that I gave my life to Jesus, devil, the devil sent some imp or some demon into the post office of hell with my picture and a hammer and a nail. And he drove it into the billboard of hell and said, this guy is now with that. He wasn't a threat before, but he went to life church and he stood in the thing and they said a prayer and he had his hands in his pocket and he didn't look like he meant it, but he repeated a prayer after a guy and something sparked and the, the Holy Spirit moved him. And now suddenly, this guy who once was lost is now found, who once was blind now sees, who once wanted nothing but goodness for him suddenly wants goodness for God. And so the more you take part in advancing the kingdom of God, the more attacks you're going to endure. And so let me give you a little advice. Don't be a coward. Don't be a coward who says, oh, well, things are hard. It, it, it just must not be God's will. You know God's will for your life. God spoke it to you. You felt it when you spent a few moments in prayer, when you spent a few moments spending time with him. Maybe when you were singing a song in here, you, you felt like something spoke to you. He, he gave you a plan. He, he gave you an agenda. He revealed something to you that you're supposed to do. And, and the minute that adversity comes, you can't be a coward and run from the plan that you know God has for you. You can't run away. You have to lean in. The harder it gets, the closer you are to the will of God. And so Paul gives us a strong word in Ephesians 6. It's like a military speech from a general to his troops. And in that charge, he gives us three things we need to know in war. Three things we need to know in war. Here's the first. Uh, number one, we need to know our enemy. Uh, you know you have an enemy, right? You, you, you do know you're not loved by everyone and everything. I know that some of you are still running for homecoming king. I know that some of you are uh, spiritual politicians. I know that some of you are building a whole life. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, uh, I, I just preached at a church in, um, in Toronto this, this weekend. And the pastor there, he's a beautiful guy. He's, uh, he's, he's 68. He's, he's handsome. Like every, I've been there four times. Every time I go there, he's more handsome. I don't know what happens. He's like Benjamin Button. Like he's like uh, fascinating. I walk in, I go, my God, pastor, how have you gotten so, he's, he's, like, uh, he's like the Bono of pastors. It's like he just drips coolness. Like he, he carries a bag, like a satchel, as they'd call it in the hangover. It's, not a, it's a, not a purse. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, and, and he carries this thing so well. He just, he came to pick me up, and he had on a top coat, which if you're a man and you can wear a top coat with jeans, you're a G anyway. And he shows up, he has a top coat on and a pair of like fitted, like fitted jeans and a pair of sneakers and like a shirt that has like the button. You know the t-shirts that have buttons on them? And his buttons were open. He was like, what's up, dog? He did the top coat, and, and he had on, you know the... The, the snap front hats, he had the, the snap front hat on, and his leather. I said, you better shut your dang mouth. You show up here in a leather snap front hat picking me up. And he had a black leather thing, like a, like a bag that just carried his phone and some mints and hope. That's all. That's what was in that bag. And I got in the car and he had on one black leather glove. 
said, man. But when I got in the car, he put the other one on. Like he was like, it was like it was for effect. And I was like, dang, this dude is, how am I going to preach at your church? You're the coolest guy I've ever met in my life. And then we're in the back room and we're kind of talking and talking about, you know, this is what to expect and after the service. And then he, he, he's, he's Italian. That's why he can carry the bag. I'm Irish. Irish people can't carry bags or people think they're full of potatoes. <laughs> he's Italian, but then he grew up in Australia. So he's like, he's full blown Italian, looks Italian. He's got beautiful bronze skin. But when he talks, he sounds Australian. But he ends all of his sentences in a question because he lives in Canada. So he apologizes constantly for his coolness. And, and, and we're in a conversation and I asked him and I said, I said, Pastor, let me ask you something. Where, where are you actually from? He said, well, actually, I have, uh," and he he, kind of talks like that. Well, actually, Sean, I have three passports. I said, man, we're done with this conversation. I have three passports. I said, basically, you're James Bond. You're like Jason Bourne. Like, you wake up in the morning and you go, which currency do I want to carry? And and which passport do I want to be from the European Union today? Do I want to be from Australia? Do I want to be from Canada? And I just thought, what is going on here? Like, you understand, like, this is what happens when you have to understand that you're at war, like you're not loved by everybody. Somebody is always looking to do something to damage you. They're looking to do something to kill you. And, and the problem is we don't get to have multiple identities in the spirit. We get to have one or the other. We, we get to be believers or we have to be not. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to take on this or I'm, I'm going to take on that. You have to identify the fact that not everybody loves you because I love this pastor but he just went through a church split and they lost a couple hundred people in their church because some people they they thought he was too slick and you're gonna have people in your life who they're, they're gonna identify you as something that you you're not you have you have zero intention this guy has nothing but good intentions he's a hundred percent pure and for some of you you you're gonna go no like bro like uh, this is who I am. The problem is you think you're going to be loved by everybody. Like, like everybody's going to think good things and rainbows and tinkerbells about you. But you have to understand you're hated. You are despised. You are opposed. And Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Like, you have to understand, people are not our enemy. As, as much as they oppose you, they are not your enemy. Satan and his demons are your enemy. I mean, the Bible actually speaks of non-believers like they're captives. Because what happens at war is a conquering army often takes the citizens of the place they've conquered captive. They imprison them. And that's earth. The world has been conquered by Satan, and humanity has been taken captive, has been made prisoners of war. So our war isn't against the captives. It's against their captors, Satan and his demons. And the only way those captives are freed is by becoming children of God. It's why early in Jesus' ministry, he said, I have come to set the captives free. So good. 
This is what he's talking about. He, so our war isn't against non-Christians or people who disagree with our biblical worldview. Like if you're pro-life, people who are pro-choice are not your enemy. If you're a vaxxer, people who are anti-vaxxers are not your enemy. People who have a different sexual preference than you are not your enemy. Hey, Republicans, Democrats are not your enemy. Because the Bible's clear, our war isn't against each other. It's against Satan and the demons who have taken people captive and brainwashed them into doing his will. And the only way to unbrainwash people is to give them the truth because they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. <laughs> so, so the first thing in any fight is that we have to know our enemy. Who, who are we fighting? Like any of you, I'm wondering if any of you have ever like, been in a fight. <laughs> uh, I grew up in a poor neighborhood, so I fought, I fought a lot growing up. Sometimes uh, I'd just be in a normal day at school, and somebody would come up, and they would say, hey, bro, uh, so-and-so say he wants to fight you after school. I go, okay. Uh, first thing, who is that? <laughs> I need to know who that is because that determines whether or not I'm going to show up is all I'm saying. And, and if I do show up, I have to know who they are so it knows uh, how, how I'm going to prepare. We need to know who we're fighting. And we are fighting Satan. He was created by God, but he's not God. He's not equal to God. You need to know this, that he doesn't share all of God's attributes. Like God can be everywhere, Satan can't. God knows everything, Satan doesn't. God reads your mind and your thoughts, Satan can't. He is created, but he has also fallen. He has rebelled against God, turned his back on him, declared war on him, and he is a really powerful spiritual being. And he's been observing humanity for thousands of years. So he understands how to read people. He, he can't read your mind, but he can read your life. He can read your body language. But it's important we also understand that we're not all dealing with Satan directly because he's, he's limited. He can't, he can't be everywhere at the same time. And so he has this legion of demons at his disposal. And friends, they are real, they are ruthless, they are powerful, and they are at work in this world. And one of their greatest weapons is pride. Satan, Satan has done a masterful job using pride in our culture to the point that self-esteem isn't a vice. It's a virtue. Independence isn't a vice. It's a virtue. And we, we say things like, well, I don't need to listen to anybody else. I'm smart enough. I don't need to submit to anybody else. I can take care of myself. I, I don't need to follow anybody else. I'm the authority in my own life. And that's pride. And Satan will tempt and test your pride in every way possible. And just so you know, insecurity, that's pride. Insecurity is making it all about you. It's refusing to acknowledge God's power just the same as arrogance is. You see, the enemy will tempt and test your pride in every way possible. He fell through pride, his demons fell through pride, and he'll tempt you to fall through pride. So you need to know he's real, he's powerful, and he's at work against you. But you also need to know 
that we need to be careful of two things when we, when we consider our enemy. Number one, we need to be careful not to make too much of him. But number two, <laughs> we need to be careful not to make too little of him. Yeah. Some of you come from a charismatic or Pentecostal background, and sometimes people from those backgrounds, they make too much of Satan to the point that you're not responsible for your own sin. You walk around talking about it's an attack of the enemy. Well, he, he, may, he may tempt you, but you're the one who sins. He may present you with an opportunity, but you're the one who's responsible for how you react to it. So some people make too much of Satan. Other people, though, make too little of him. They try to explain everything away with hormonal, medical, psychological, environmental, biological conditions. They, they try to have an explanation for everything that eliminates the spiritual. But everything is spiritual. <laughs> Satan is real. We have a real enemy against whom Paul says we wrestle. Oh, any of you ever wrestled. When I was a senior in high school, I was uh, you know, on the football team, and so the wrestling coach asked me to come to wrestling practice. And I walked in, and it, you know, it was in like a six by six room in the basement, and it felt like it was heated by coal. Like it felt like the whole room was covered in duct tape. I felt like I walked into a Mad Max movie. Like everyone had cauliflower ears and six teeth missing. Like I was like, like I walked in and it was like, they're like, ah, he's here. I'm like what the heck is going on in here? And uh, the coach put me against the smallest, weakest, losingest guy on the team. And in about seven seconds, he had me in a human pretzel. I tapped out. I walked out with my tail between my legs and realized I wasn't built to wrestle. This is ridiculous. And people who are wrestlers, they are cut from a different breed. So Paul says, we wrestle. It's exhausting. You, you know why MMA fights only have five-minute rounds? Because it's all that they can handle, even the best-conditioned athletes in the world. And, and the language that's used here, it refers to that, to hand-to-hand combat. It's where they got their hands on you, and you've got your hands on them. It's a battle in close quarters, what they call in the clench. I wonder if you've spiritually ever felt like you were there. It, it's exhausting. Serving Jesus is, is like that. And we often hear ourselves say things like, man, this is hard. It's, it's exhausting. I feel like I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to run out of energy. I'm going to run out of hope. I'm going to run out of opportunity because serving Jesus is exhausting. It's a fight. It's a battle. A war of attrition. I think that's why some of you don't pray or serve, or give, because you know the minute that you do, it's gonna be a fight. And so you just stand on the sidelines and cheer and criticize those who are at war. And so the first thing that you need to know in war is your enemy. The second thing that we need to know in war is we need to know our king. Who do you fight for? You know what, if you don't know who you're fighting for, you're probably not gonna fight well. And, and so Paul says it this way, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Who's the Lord? Jesus. You need to understand this. This is his fight. It's his church, his book, his war. It's not yours. It's not mine. We're not the king. It's not our kingdom. We're the soldiers and we fight for a mighty and magnificent, great and glorious king. How are you going to survive in the clench? How are you going to survive with Satan and his demons hands on you with 
with them exhausting you, trying to destroy you, trying to destroy your business, your family, your finances, your relationships. How do you do that? You need to tap into a strength that's beyond you. So Paul says, be strong. How? In the strength of his might. Jesus is going to need to give you strength that is his strength. Because your strength, it won't do. Like, you feel me? And a lot of you have been taught that God won't give you more than you can handle. But that's a lie. It's a scripture that's actually taken out of context from 1 Corinthians. And that scripture, it doesn't say God won't give you more than you can handle. The scripture actually says no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God's faithful. And he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability because with that temptation, he will, he will provide the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. You, you can't serve God for a lifetime without Jesus' strength. You can't love your spouse for a lifetime. You, you can't raise your kids for a lifetime without Jesus' strength. You can't be faithful with your finances for a lifetime without Jesus' strength. It is His war fought by his strength, and that strength is ultimately the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The the same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus against temptation and exhaustion, sickness, opposition, and criticism. Jesus persevered by and received his strength from the power of the Holy Spirit. And he promised, the last thing that he promised is that he would send the same Holy Spirit to empower us. But to, to receive that power... We have to seek that power. And so anytime that I'm strengthened by the strength of his might rather than the strength of my might, I can do things that I can't do and I can endure things that I can't endure. And when that happens, he gets the glory and I get the joy. That is the Christian life. You know, all God is asking you to do is what you can't do. Have you ever felt that way? Like, like, God, you're asking me to do something that's impossible. You're asking me to do something that I'm not equipped to do, that I'm not, that I'm not strong enough. God, you're, you're just asking me something that's beyond me. If that's how you feel, good. Now you're clear on your orders. And so when you become clear on your orders, you are forced to look to Jesus and ask, how am I going to get this done? And he responds by my power. God says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. We need to factor in all the variables. It's not just us and God. Satan and demons are opposed to us, but Jesus gives us strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. And once we know that, we know why it's hard, but we also know why we'll win. Life starts to make a little bit more sense. So when we're in war, we need to know our enemy. Uh, Secondly, we need to know our king. And finally, we need to know our weapons. And this point is so important that I decided to do a second part of this message next week. But, But this is where Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Why do we put on the whole armor of God? So that we can withstand the evil day. (laughs) People put on lots of armor. Some people put it on to protect themselves, to to keep themselves safe, to to help themselves be strong. But author and speaker Brene Brown says that some people put on armor to hide, to avoid being authentic or vulnerable. Some people put on armor 
to prepare for battle while other people put on battle to protect their wounds. And I wonder today, which armor are you wearing? The one for battle or the one to hide? I mean, maybe you're not wearing any armor. Maybe you're like, like Adam and Eve, who in the midst of their sin felt like they were naked and afraid. And the reason that they were those two things was because they didn't know their enemy, so they handed themselves over to his attack. And because they didn't know their king, so they hid themselves from his grace. I wonder, what about you? Do you know your enemy? But more importantly, do you know your king? If you don't, you can before you leave here today. After having done all you can do to stand, finding your life in a place that is totally not working, you can put on his armor and stand in his strength. And I hope you will. Because we are at war, but God wants to clothe you in his righteousness. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Salvation at the end of the day is just determining that you want to know your king. Some of you know that you have an enemy because your life is under a barrage. It is under attack. Some of you are here today and you say, Sean, I, I, I don't know how I've made it to this point forward. It's a miracle. You feel like you don't have any hope. You feel like you don't have any future. I want to tell you today that there is a hope and there is a future and his name is Jesus. And so I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a connection to him. I haven't submitted my life to him. I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. The Bible says to enter into a relationship with Jesus, you have to do two things. You have to confess and you have to profess. You have to confess that you're a sinner and you have to profess that Jesus can change that fact. So today I want to give you the opportunity to do both of those things. And here's how we're going to do that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask people to do two things. Uh, first, I'm going to ask with nobody looking around for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like to. Secondly, I'm going to ask for people to repeat a prayer after me, and I'm going to ask everyone in here to repeat the prayer. And if you repeat the prayer with them and you meet it in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to before I leave. If nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me? Thanks. 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 Okay, I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat this prep. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, whether you raised your hand or not, and you meant it in your heart, you just began this beautiful relationship with Jesus that we want to be a part of. We want to be a part of your journey away from where you are towards where God wants you to be. So if you'll help us help you, you can take the card that's in the seat back in front of you. It says hello across the top. You can tear off the bottom part, fill in whatever information you're okay with us having. Check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus. And you can either put that in the black buckets when they come around here in just a few moments, or you can take it out to the Welcome Center. Either way, we want the opportunity to receive those cards and to pray over them and to follow up with you. If you're not comfortable taking the cards, you can also scan the QR code that's on the seat back in front of you or is on the screen and it'll take you to a place where you can fill out the information. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes one more time before we receive the Lord's tithes and your offering. But I wonder if you're hearing you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. Uh, maybe you don't know your enemy. 
I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I've like been blaming everyone else for everything. You've been blaming your husband or your wife. You've been blaming your parents for the past. You've been blaming your kids, your boss, society, the president, whatever it is. You say, Sean, I've been blaming everyone else, but I want to take responsibility and confront my enemy through the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's you with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand so that I could pray for you? Golly, God, thank you for so many friends who are in this place who would acknowledge that. God, I pray blessings over them, strength over them. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Help us to confront our enemy in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.